Here is Wilma. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Remember when we used to have you on a computer I know, here? I know. We, then we got like, then we were able to do Skype, and now she's here. I'm here. And we have toilet I'm paper here. at our feet. It's like a totally yes. different world. And I'm hearing the birds in the bathroom. And the birds are upstairs. The <laughs> That's just amazing. I love it. Oh, it's funny. The and a tent in your bathroom. <laughs> It's summer. It's summer. It's an adventure. It's an adventure, which was the prophetic word. Exactly. Feels like it. Okay. So, Father, thank you for Wilma. Thank you for her wisdom and her experience. And we just pray that you would bless us all with her wisdom on on the topic of going through tough stuff and uh, help us to understand how to deal with it and what to expect so that we can move through it and uh, not get caught in it. Uh, we are able to go through the process and uh, live it out your way. In the name of Jesus, so bless her, give her mm -hmm. uh, good words for us, and open our ears, help us to hear her. Amen. Okay, Amen. I will get out of your way, okay. and you can take over, move to the middle. And take your toilet paper Take the toilet hand. paper with me, okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad to be here. I think this is wonderful to be in this house and to feel the new surgence of freedom that, that we're gaining with, with care, always with care during this time. We are on our 12th element, and so I thought I'd give some background again. Uh, we went, we started this route when the COVID came. Very, the very first Sunday, we were thinking, how do we address this? And uh, I just remembered how when something drastic happens, when there's a tragedy, when there's a murder, when there's a crisis, we just say, get over it. And yet, over the years, I've discovered that there's no just getting over it. We just need to work at this and, uh, and to identify some of the things that we're going to face. There are 15 things that we have to face when something drastic happens to us, when there's some big change, and, uh, and to be prepared for them and to also realize that God has an answer. God's been there. God knows all of this. And uh, to go and to to itemize them and to and to apply them to the word so that we can go through this consciously in a learning attitude because there's so much to learn. These horrible moments in our lives are actually huge learning opportunities. This next element is kind of something I learned when I was very young. I had a playful mother, and one time I remember there was this big crash in the kitchen, and then this Wilma. I just came running into the kitchen. I said, Mom, what did I do? And she says, oh, nothing. She says, I just like to blame you and call out your name because it makes me feel better. So we would be going along in the store, and she would crash into something or something. And she'd always say, Wilma. And I would just, what? And it would just trigger me. And then she would just laugh, and we would laugh. And, and she said, it makes me feel better. Ah, it does. Blaming somebody else makes you feel better. But boy, is that dangerous when it's done in the wrong way. I remember when we were going, we were realizing that our child had been murdered. And the people said that, yes, we were dealing with the murder. But then they said to Cliff and I, they almost prophesied, they said, your marriage is over. The chances of you surviving as a married couple is over. And I just thought, okay, we've lost a daughter. That's, that's in itself a tragic event. But I'm not going to let it pursue us. I do not want to lose my family now. It's, it's just too hard. It's too hard to lose anyone. So then they said, it's grief. Probably watch your grief. Because 
You're going to grieve differently. Men and women grieve differently. Fathers, mothers grieve differently. And you're going to misunderstand. And, and so I watched that. But, you know, we did grieve differently. And it didn't matter that he didn't cry and I was crying all the time. Or sometimes he'd be angry and I was just weeping and, you know, that kind of thing. So I wondered and I watched. And then we were asked to go and speak to a couple that was having trouble. And it was an accident. Their child had been killed in an accident. And then I just looked at her and she exploded in anger against her husband. It wasn't his fault. Blame. Blame is an incredible force that we have to deal with when we're going through this. And, and what we do with victims when we're in this kind of situation, what we like to do is make it simple. We like to gather up all of our anger, which we talked about last Sunday, and, and the force of that. And it's huge. When we're, when we're trying to survive and we're trying to prevent ourselves from being killed or, or whatever, the anger, all of that anger, and then we ball it into one big ball, a fiery ball, and we aim it at somebody. And research tells us that we don't aim it at the offender. We aim it at somebody that's close to us, that's safe, and that we, maybe we have a bit of resentment anyway. Maybe, they, maybe we're jealous of them or something. So we choose who we want to burn with this big ball of hate. And we can destroy so much. It is, and the other part of it is that often, if we're very not, when we least expect it, we'll realize that we feel guilty and we'll blame ourselves. We'll either be blaming others irresponsibly, but we can also blame ourselves irresponsibly. And when that same ball of fire comes roaring at us and we realize that all of it is our fault, presumably, then the crush and the pain and the, and the destruction of irresponsible blame is huge. I remember that um, I found it very hard to forgive the murderer naturally. I didn't, we didn't know who it was, so it was even harder to forgive because there was no target. But it was also very hard to forgive the police. We like to blame people that look safe. And they had the audacity to investigate our friends. And they had the audacity to, to investigate Cliff. And, and so the, the sense that they were supposed to be safe, they were supposed to look after us, they were supposed to save us, and when they didn't, when they were less than perfect, we wanted to blame them. But in the long run, a year after Candace was murdered, the ball of fire came towards me, and that was the hardest. The hardest thing is to forgive ourselves. So what do we do with this confusing blame, guilt, naturally, and so convenient, and so destructive? It has destroyed so many marriages. It has destroyed so much. And we need each other, and we love each other, and we need to love each other. And so more than anything in, in any of the elements, this is the one that is most obscure, most manipulative, and most dangerous. And in some ways, I think we're already starting to see this now in COVID. The blame is just going crazy. And in some ways we can, you know, like my mother, you know, just kind of almost play with it and say, okay, who am I going to blame today? <laughs> it's going to make me feel better. And if it's a game, we can play it. But if it becomes uninformed, if it becomes irresponsible, we can do tremendous harm. 
And that's why my favorite verse in the Bible is Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's there. It's so simple. Perfection is not ours, and everybody's going to be blamed. And if, and if we realize that everybody is blame, not not everybody's done something wrong. Nobody's perfect, and we can just let go of the blame. We can look at the person. We can hold people accountable. We can say, "Why did you do that?" And do you realize it was wrong to, you know, to correct the correct the behavior correct their circumstances and all that around that but to say you know what you were made in the glory of God we know that you're not perfect we can look at the garden of Eden and we know where all of this came about when serpent tempted Eve and and Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent and and then and then eventually they blamed God like you know it, it happened right there when we were created and when we were when we lost our our innocence the blame stepped in and took over and has continued all these years to create havoc, great havoc. It was even worse than the imperfection that we came, we came that came in the garden is the blame. So when I think today, you know, we're not none of us are perfect, and there's a freedom. There's a freedom to say, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm going to try and make the best of my imperfections, but don't expect me to be perfect. And when we think of our fathers and the role of the people in authority in our lives, what do we see? Do we see their imperfections? Do we hold them accountable? Do we hate them for their imperfections because they haven't lived up to our expectations? We do that with people in authority, with people who we perceive as stronger. And that's often the father in our lives. And so in this day that we're celebrating fathers, let's just let go of all those hurts and those unrealistic expectations that we have of each other and just say, you know what? You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. But God loves us. And let us start to play rather than really hurl this blame and guilt at each other. I just pray that God will bless you in this. Amen. Okay. <laughs> there you are. Well, thank you, Wilma. Can you say a prayer for me? Yes. I pray for this lovely father. <laughs> oh, Cyrus. Oh, I'm going to cry. Fatherhood is such a huge responsibility, God. I just pray that you'll be with each father today. And to realize that even men who don't have natural children are fathers. Father mm -hmm. is a term of leadership. Mm -hmm. and, they, and men have a leadership role in our country and in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I just pray that Cyrus will find the words to to talk about this this morning, to inspire every one of us to, to live up to our potential and to be more responsible with the blame and guilt and the destruction that we can do to each other. Mm. Praise your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Wilma. Okay, so we're talking about... Well, i got to get comfortable first. There we go. Talking about guilt, talking about blame, talking about leadership. I hadn't really thought of that, but boy, that fits as well. I think um, one of the main things that uh, blame and guilt come out of is pride. That's going to be kind of one of the main themes of today. And if you want to be a leader, uh, pride is one of the main things that you're going to have to contend with um, as, uh, as a leader. So 
I think it's very appropriate to think about if you're moving into leadership, if you're moving into discipleship and dealing with people and helping them to grow, uh, you have to learn how to deal with accusation. You have to learn how to deal with accusing other people and being accused um, because it happens in these kind of dynamics with people in relationships and you want to get good at it. You want to learn how to do it well. And um, so that's what we're going to talk about. So um, let's pray. I'm just going to pray again. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this season of rest for Maplecrest and for me. Uh, come and meet us. Come and bless us and help us to love you more. Help us to um, understand how you work and some of the forces that are at play right now in our country and in the world. Amen. What I, what I really want to talk today about is uh, the spirit of Satan and how um, sometimes people call it like the dragon spirit, how the spirit of Satan is really active right now in the world. Uh, the dragon spirit is really active in Canada and um, it really is active in blame and accusation. So that's kind of like the theme of today is how that spirit that Satan brings to people operates in so many ways and is very subtle and difficult and uh, can often look good, can actually look like righteousness. And it's hard to point out. It's hard to identify in yourself. It's hard to identify in other people. And it can be very offensive, obviously, to um, talk to people about this. And so it's great to be able to talk about it with everybody so that I'm not actually talking about it with any one person. So hopefully you can learn to apply this to yourself and it can be a safe place for us to all evaluate ourselves and how this has affected us. So uh, as I sometimes do, I'll, I'll start off with a psychological principle um, because so many scriptural truths uh, have been shown because we observe the world and we observe God's ways and we, it comes out in science. And so the one that I wanted to talk about that I think applies, there's others probably that do, but one that I thought of was something called the fundamental attribution error. And um, it's how we attribute responsibility, how we attribute uh, blame. And we do it with a fundamental error. That's why it's called the fundamental attribution error. It's so prevalent, so strong and repeatable. It's um, the, this, the spirit of Satan, uh, this dragon spirit is so powerful in each in our society and powerful sway in the fall over each of us that we really need to be in God's ways in order to fight it. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about how they find it, how they see this error in our ways of judging other people. So um, this study was done, you know, a number of years ago, um, more and more years ago, uh, it was 1967. And uh, they looked at people who were listening to a speech about Fidel Castro and um, which was really relevant at the time and probably relevant to many people now still, but um, a bigger issue. And the um, people who were doing the speeches were either pro or against. And uh, the people who were um, listening to the speeches would believe that the people who were giving the speeches actually like believe these things and they would attribute negative or positive characteristics, particularly negative characteristics to the speaker if they were speaking in a way that was against their own beliefs. So they would kind of make character judgments. Not too surprising. I mean, these people were speaking positively, you know, about something that they were or negatively about something that they were 
kind of against her. So it's not too surprising that based on a speech that somebody's giving, that you're giving a negative view or character judgments. What was interesting, however, was that they would tell some of the participants in the study, the speaker doesn't actually believe this. They are only speaking this way or that way because of a coin toss. They're debaters. They've just are assigned to come up with these arguments. It's not their actual beliefs. And so they would tell this to the people in the study and it made a difference, but it didn't make as big a difference as you might think. Listening to the speakers, they would actually continue to believe and make negative character characterological judgments about the speaker based on what they were saying, even though they knew that there was completely separate from that person's beliefs. So if you heard somebody speaking positively about Fidel Castro and you were annoyed by that, you believed that that person was a bad person, like a character. They were bad. Even though you knew they were just a debater doing a job. Even though you knew that. It's kind of like people really believe that Alex Trebek on Jeopardy is really intelligent even though he just reads the questions and is told, like in his mic in-ear microphone or speaker, uh, what the answer is. People believe that he's intelligent. They make this attribution to him. They, we make these attributions to people, even though we know that it's not actually based on anything. So we, whenever we're making a judgment about ourselves, this is kind of the rest of this research, whenever we make a judgment about ourselves, like if I failed the test at school, I would say, oh, you know, it's probably because I didn't study and it's and I've got too much work to do all that studying that I need to. And it's probably because it's a bad professor and, you know, they they are not understandable. I didn't understand. Like they just didn't know how to explain it. But if somebody else fails the test, we'd say, oh, they're not intelligent enough. Like this is a permanent problem with this other person. They've got a bad character or bad abilities. But for me, it's temporary and it's external. It's like it's the professor's fault. It's something that I can change. But for other people, it's permanent and internal. That's the attribution error. We judge other people harshly and permanently even and we judge them even when we have information saying that we shouldn't it's just so easy to do this for other people so that's this fundamental attribution error we really naturally judge other people care other people's character and inaccurately we just it's so easy for us and we see it all over the bible this is something that so many stories in the bible are about these inaccurate judgment judgments eve blamed the serpent for her choice it was her choice adam blamed eve even though it was his choice cain blames abel sarah blames abraham joseph's brothers basically try to kill him and blame him for it it's their choice we blame other people for our own issues and the stories go on there's there's so many and it's so prevalent that we almost don't even see it in ourselves because it's always there. This spirit and this kind of dragon spirit is, is the spirit of Satan. Uh, and um, so in Zechariah 3 verse 1 to 2, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. Satan is pictured as this accuser. That's one of his primary traits is an accuser of the brethren, of God's people. Revelation 12. I then 
Then I heard a, vo a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. He's constantly sitting there accusing and accusing and accusing and accusing and blaming. Now we are called to judge others. We are definitely called to be aware. Uh, we are called to see accurately what's happening around us, both positive and negative. And we call it discernment when it's good. We call it discernment when we're doing it well. Um, but it's not easy to engage in discernment. Um, and what's the difference between discernment and judgment? I actually did a whole talk just on the fact that we are actually supposed to judge. Um, so I'm not going to really get into that right now. Um, but it's there and it's very clear that we are supposed to judge. We are supposed to be wary of people. We're supposed to be wary of spirits around us. We are supposed to discern. So what's the difference between accusation and blame versus discernment? And the main difference is the spirit of Satan. It's this pride. The pride, pride is the, is the spirit that kind of corrupts our judgment and corrupts our discernment and makes us engage in it in this way that's so destructive to other people. And I don't know the numbers but I would imagine, based on the fact that it's called the fundamental attribution error, that the vast majority of the times that we are engaging in judgment, we are actually engaging in accusation and blame and not discernment. And I don't even know if there's a time when we can do this purely, but we need to make discernment our goal. We need to make discernment our prize and uh, we need to work on ourselves in order to gauge, uh, engage in discernment. And in order to do that, today I want to talk about three different ways that we engage in accusation. Three different ways that pride gets in the way of our ability to actually do discernment. So we are called to judge 100%. Now the first way, there's no particular order, but the first one I'm going to talk about is when we judge correctly but out of pride. So you judge somebody properly. Now, I don't actually think this happens all that often, but let's say you actually get it right. Again, I don't think it happens all that often, but let's say you do, you get it right. You actually nailed this person. You knew what they're up to. You knew that this is a sin. And, and it's probably not too hard to identify sins in other people because it happens all the time. Um, but we often get it wrong in terms of the amount, in terms of the actual sin, in terms of um, what's required, like the, the actual judgment of it and what should be done about it is usually inaccurate. If you wanted to say, Hey, you're a sinner. Yeah, you got that right. Right. You know, it's like a plus you got it. It wasn't all that hard, but if you know what the sin is, what the history of the sin is, what should be done about it, the degree, the form, um, the spirit behind it, which actually is a sin, which isn't, we often get those things kind of wrong. Um, so that's the part that's difficult. Now, when you engage in this process of identifying sins in other people, we are supposed to do that. We actually are supposed to discern the sins around us, the sins that, that affect us and affect the world, which is all of it. These sins that people engage in make our lives really hard, you know, and you can, I, you can see this when you go to church, which is why people avoid church, because you go to church and it's like, oh, this place is 
supposed to be safe, and I wish it was. I really do. I pray that the, the church would be a safe place for people, but in truth, it's actually filled with sin. It's filled with these problems, and so that's not the hard part uh, to discern. Um, but to actually engage in that correct judgment, if you get it correct, um, to do it well, you'll usually end up falling into this trap. And I'll, I'll just read it from the Bible so that you don't have to believe me. Romans 2, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to start, I think, here at verse, yeah, verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgments, a judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. I'll skip verse 2 here. I'll read it anyway. It's only one verse. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. God's going to judge. Don't, don't have to worry about it too much. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Okay, so basically we're talking about hypocrisy. Judging others is not hypocrisy. It's not, it's not wrong to discern the sins of those around you. But if you do it without the keen awareness of your own sin, you are being a hypocrite. Um, we need to be keenly aware of the fact that we are also sinners and that we are a breath away from all of these things. But by the grace of God, do we, that prevents us and helps us and, and works with us, um, the fall is so corrupting. Um, we need to be aware of our own sin. And maybe we haven't engaged in that specific sin. We probably have to some degree. Jesus is uh, quite subtle with how sins can get us. So it's probably likely that you have actually engaged in some form of that category of sin. Um, but it probably does look a little different in you. But we need to be keenly aware of what's going on in ourselves in order to accurately judge other people. To put it another way, and another argument for how we are actually supposed to, uh, supposed to judge, Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verse 5, and this is uh, Jesus, You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he calls it a hypocrite. This is hypocrisy. When you don't take care of what's going on in you, and you try to take care of what's going on in somebody else. Um, you need to be so careful here and so aware. You are actually supposed to help some, take somebody's speck out, but you need to take the log out of your own eye. You need to be keenly aware. But we don't want to look at ourselves. We don't want to look at ourselves because of pride. It's so uncomfortable to look at our own sin. It's so much more comfortable to look at other people's sins. So this is that dragon spirit. We don't want to see ourselves. Satan doesn't want to see himself. He wants to just see his own beauty. And he wants to look at other people's sin. We, that's what we want to do. We want to just look at other people's sin and be angry about it. And we don't want to see how we're messing up everything we're, we don't want to see the contribution that we're, own, that we're making. So it's so much easier just to focus on what other people are doing. And that's that pride that gets in the way. Okay. Now the next one is self-blame. Now this one's actually a little tricky to talk about because um, it's so cloaked in the appearance of humility. It's so cloaked in the appearance of humility that it's even hard for people who are in this to see the pride in self-blame. Now, is it wrong to blame yourself? No, 
it's not wrong. We make mistakes all the time. If you don't blame yourself for some things, you aren't, you're not walking in humility. That was the point of the first one here. We need to actually see how we are to blame. We need to see this and it's hard to see it, but then sometimes people switch and they go to the other side and they just see it. They don't, they blame themselves and they're not able to forgive themselves. So we're not talking, I'm not really talking about self-blame because yes, it's my fault, right? Like we blame ourselves. We should blame ourselves. We should see our own sin. That's so hard to do. And, and then, but then you step into it. It's like, oh, I saw my own sin. See, I can do it. And then you can take a step too far and you can be like, you can be really hard on yourself and you cannot forgive yourself in that way. And that's where the pride comes in. We believe we should have known better. We believe we are like superhuman. Like you should know better. You're better than other people. Yeah, yeah. Like that guy sins. But me? Like he can be forgiven because he doesn't know anything. But I sinned. Oh my goodness. I sinned. Can you believe that somebody like me could sin? Oh my goodness. That I could make a mistake like that? I know it's shocking, right? Like it's that kind of stance. And normally it's not that extravagant. But it's this cloaked appearance of humility that our sin is so much worse. But Romans 8.1, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We cannot deny the grace of God. We can't deny the grace of God for other people. To say to somebody else, you're not forgiven, you can't be forgiven. We have to be so careful about these things. It's the same to say it about yourself, to say that you can't be forgiven. Sometimes people can't accept help because they want to do it themselves. It's very humbling to have to accept help. It's very humbling to have to accept help. It's one of the primary reasons that people deny Christ is because they don't want to be helped. They want to be good. People want to be good. They want to do it themselves. I want to be a good person. I try to be a good person. Why isn't that good enough? Why isn't it good enough that I can just be a good person? I don't want to have to accept help. And we see this in psychology. People don't, people love to give. They don't like to receive. It's humbling. It's obligatory. It, it puts you in this uh, hard place where you need help. It's like, are you saying I'm weak? Yes, we're saying you're weak. We're sorry. We are saying that you need help. And so the pride, the difficulty in actually asking for help. But you might say, oh, like, then this is that feeling in self-blame and, and not being able to forgive yourself. Is this like, God can't forgive my sin. Like my sin is somehow bigger than everybody else's. And like, don't get me wrong. This is like a really painful topic, which is why I'm glad I'm like talking to everybody because it's actually pretty hard to sit down with somebody who's blaming themselves and talk to them about pride. It's really tough. Uh, it's really sensitive. Um, and there's a lot of pain in it. And there's, so there's one dynamic. So I'm glad I get to talk to everybody once. So you can just identify this in yourself and work on it because that's, it's a very subtle thing. And it's cloaked in this appearance of pride where it's like, I can actually take care of myself and I can actually deal with this. The other thing that's a little tricky about this is it actually attracts support if you blame yourself. And so it's a way of, of asking for support without asking for support. Instead of saying, which is, the, which is the vulnerable, humble thing to do is, I need help. It's, it's easier to say, hey, I'm terrible, and then wait for the other person to reassure you. It's easier to do that. And so what I would want for people to move into is, I need help. 
I'm not doing very well. I'm struggling with this rather than I'm terrible. My sins are worse than everybody else's, which attracts support, but it's a, it's an unhealthy way of attracting support. So you want to move into this actually vulnerable, like I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? And people do that too. And, and then we want to move into this grace where it's like, oh, even my sins can be forgiven because my sins are just like everybody else's. My sins aren't bigger than Jesus. My sins aren't bigger than other people. Um, so that one's a tough one to see. It's a tough one to see in yourself. So I can understand if you're feeling it like, oh, but it just feels, it feels horrible and humble to actually be in this place. How could this be pride? And maybe it's not totally. I don't want to just say that's the only thing that's preventing people from engaging in self-blame. I don't want to be, but it's one of the, it's one of the dynamics that can often be ensnaring people is the pride that goes along with that of having difficulty accepting help. Now, the last one is very common and it's false blame. So we talked about correct blame, but not recognizing your own. We talked about self blame. Now we're talking about false blame. When you actually blame somebody for something that they didn't actually do, you did it, you did something. And now you're hurting somebody else because of it. And this is Jesus's death. Jesus's death. Like, it was this idea in Jesus' death that he didn't do anything wrong and yet he was blamed for the sins of the world. He was crushed by God in order to protect people, but he was blamed by the people. He was, he was accused by the people. The spirit of Satan came into the people and accused him and killed him. And it's the, it's the kind of pinnacle of inaccurate blaming in order to protect pride. The, the teachers of the day were protecting themselves. If Jesus isn't here, then we're the top. One of the best examples to actually dive into the psychology of it is Cain and Abel. So Cain and Abel are there. And in the course of time, they were, they were the children of Adam and Eve. And this is Genesis 4 verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and uh, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard, accepted Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He didn't accept Cain's offering. So the two brothers come forward, they give their offering. We don't really know why one was accepted and one wasn't accepted. There's theories. Maybe it was the, the only difference that seems to be there that's pretty clear. Or there's two maybe. is One is grain and one is uh, like a, a lamb. But there's lots of like time after this that grain offerings are acceptable. So I don't think that's it. One is like a first fruit offering and the other one isn't named as a first fruit offering. Maybe that's it. That one maybe has a little bit more credence. I think it's more subtle than that. I think it's probably something that is purposely not named so that we can apply ourselves to it. Like there's some re something going on with Cain that we don't know, but there's something going on in us too, right? So sometimes we can be in that position of Cain. And Cain's offering is not acceptable. So Cain picking it up here in verse five. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So Cain is upset. He hasn't done anything yet, but he's showing that this is affecting him. And the Lord said to Cain, the father comes down and is a father. He says to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you but you must rule over it. So he gets a father's talk. 
Unfortunately, Cain doesn't listen to the talk and he kills Abel. It's hard, it hurts our pride to see others get ahead of us. So we hurt them to fix it. Abel didn't do anything wrong. He was just doing something that Cain wasn't doing in that moment and he was killed because of it. It's easy to take out your competition. We see this in real life. People take out the competition and then they can be number one. It's a way of getting ahead is to take out the competition. We need to work on being okay with somebody else doing well. If somebody else does well, it doesn't mean that we're doing badly because they're doing well. It actually means that we have somebody who can help us. I don't think Cain would have been as upset if Abel's offering had also been refused. Then you would have two brothers who could be angry at God together and maybe, maybe, maybe actually engage in some productive talk about like maybe how to do it better or maybe just grumble about God together. But they would have been together. Unfortunately, Cain actually had missed his opportunity to talk to Abel and find out what in the world is going on. Why was my offering not accepted? He could have engaged in that process. He had somebody who had a path in front of him. So when you see somebody who actually is able to do something in the Lord or in life, it doesn't affect you that they are getting something that you're not getting. It's an opportunity. I'm not mad at Paul that he's this amazing apostle and has all of these things and won the race and gets the crown. It's like, oh, okay, let's look at Paul. How did he do it? How did he do it? I'm not mad at Jesus for being like born the son of God and, and able to do all these things and able to do all these miracles. It's like, oh, I can learn so much from Jesus and how to live a life. It's an opportunity that we can actually engage in rather than engaging in envy and jealousy. It's an opportunity to engage in something greater, but it pinches our pride that we can't do it. It pinches our pride that we're not there yet. And when our pride gets hurt, that dragon spirit, and we want to, we want to be acceptable, which is good. But we're all running our own race, which is what Jesus says to Cain here. He says, you're running your own, he doesn't say it that way but we're running our own race. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? You're running your own race. Hear, hear it here. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Your acceptance is not contingent on Abel's. I can, everybody could be successful. There's not one person who gets a prize. It's not about who's first. It's about getting across the line. We can help each other across the line. We can help each other go further in God. We can all get there. There isn't just enough for one. We're not in competition with each other. We're the church. We're supposed to be helping each other. If you do well, will you not be accepted? That's God's advice. A sin is crouching at the door. There's this dragon at the door. Dragon spirit that wants us to engage in accusation. That wants us to avoid the pinch of pride and prop ourselves up by accusing somebody else unjustly out of envy. If you do well, you will be accepted and you must rule over the dragon spirit in yourself. So overall, we have this propensity, this, this pressure to judge others differently than we judge ourselves. We protect ourselves. We protect our pride. We see it in psychology. We're biased towards ourselves. We give ourselves a break. 
And when our pride gets pinched, when we feel our pride getting hurt, we hurt other people. When we judge other people rightly, we don't look at our own sin at the same time. We don't look at it in a humble way. We just avoid looking at our own sin. When we fail, we don't want to accept help because accepting help means that you're weak and, and it's and like you're like everybody else. And so we don't forgive ourselves. We don't accept the help because it's this sign that hurts our pride. We want to help ourselves. So we work on ourselves and we're just like, oh. And when we when others succeed and we get less, we hurt them so that we're number one. Which is what the Pharisees did to Jesus. They wanted to be number one. So they take out the competition. This is that spirit of Satan that comes and has this appearance of goodness. I can engage in truth. I can help other people by giving truth. I'm better. I can, I can see things that they can't see. And I can do this. And I, 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 You want to help other people. You want to be strong. You don't want to look at your... Uh, and, it, and it's just this appearance of humility. Like, look, I'm, I'm so weak. I, I, my sin is so big. Isn't that humble? No, it's actually avoiding help. It's avoiding the grace of God. It's saying that you're so, your sin is so much bigger that God can't forgive it. And it's so sad that we let, we let these things take us in and we actually engage in what the devil is already doing. We need to remember God's advice that if you do well, you will be acceptable. And in order to do well, we need to engage in God's grace. We need to engage in asking for forgiveness. We need to engage in evaluating ourselves. Even when we have something to offer to other people, we need to come through to them with the spirit of humility. And when other people do well, we need to get excited for them because, because it's them and they, they are doing well, first of all. But even if you take a, a more kind of self-oriented approach, they can help you. They can help you do that next step. All of us are running our own race. And just because they're doing well doesn't mean you can't do well too. There's not only one spot available in the kingdom of heaven. And we need, I want to run with a people where people are doing well so that I can be encouraged. I look at people in our church and it's like, oh, People are doing well. There are people here who are engaging in God's spirit, who are hearing the Lord, who are leading people, who are discipling people, who are going out into the community. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that stuff. And it's like, shouldn't I be the pastor? (laughs) Shouldn't I be doing better than them? And it's like, it doesn't matter because what's great, well, what's great about it is that we're in a community where we can help each other where we can see other people doing well and it can be encouraging and I want each person here to be lifted up by the community I want us to be able to be like oh Lord help me to learn from this wonderful community that we have from all these different gifts I mean all of us are messing up but we all have something that we can offer so father I pray for our church I pray that we would have peace that we would see the beauty and things that each person can offer That when we judge other people in this church, that we would do it with discernment, that we would see our own failings and we wouldn't, that we wouldn't engage in hypocrisy. I pray, Lord, that we would accept your grace when we make mistakes, that we would see that our sins are sins that have come before and are going to come after and that we need your help. 
And I pray that when we see somebody doing well in the church, that we would celebrate because it means good things for us and also because it's great for them and we love them. Lord, help us to discern well. Amen. Amen.